Welcome back to I Have to Ask with Elizabeth Huss, part of the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Today's guest is David Palmer, a Democratic candidate for Congress in Illinois' 13th Congressional District. Thanks for joining me today, David. Thanks for having me. I'm really glad to be here today. The district currently covers Springfield, communities around Bloomington, Decatur, Champaign, and parts of the St. Louis suburbs. Now, Democrats are in control of redistricting in the state. Is that going to give you an advantage in how this race could lean? I'm not sure it gives me an advantage. I think it allows the district statewide to be drawn in a manner that's going to best reflect demographics in each district here. Now, we do think that if you look at central and eastern Illinois, there are large Democratic populations, especially in Champaign, Springfield, and the Metro East. We do anticipate a more Democratic map than the last cycle that Betsy Dirksen Lodgkin had when she ran against Rodney. We're not exactly sure what the final districts are going to look like, but I think the 13th is going to pick up, you know, most of the Metro East. Hopefully we pick up East St. Louis. I'm very excited about adding that to our growing coalition. I think as a young African-American candidate, I think picking up a a segment like East St. Louis that has kind of been underrepresented with Mike Boss, I think that I'm excited to go down there and add them to my coalition. And I think they'll be excited as well to have representation that really kind of speaks for them. Let's get into some of your issues. You focus on the need for a new green infrastructure, including more windmills and solar panels. What's so important about this particular issue to you? So I think in the beginning, my team and I, we were looking at issues that could really make a difference for not only the district and the country. And green infrastructure was right at the top of the list. As we've been thinking and doing more conversation with people in the district, It's going to just be infrastructure. Total infrastructure overhaul is what's needed in this district. We have areas, especially like East St. Louis, that we're going to pick up that need a lot of infrastructure investment. And then, you know, we just have really good segments of our economy that are growing because of the infrastructure investment and things like electric vehicles that the Biden administration is doing. You know, Rivian is going to be at the forefront of that here for us. And so we need to kind of follow President Biden's trend, making sure that we have a proper investment in roads, bridges, dam and lock systems. This is a twofold, threefold issue for Central Illinois. We obviously need these programs to make sure that we have the necessary infrastructure that we need here for our rural population. We talk about how the family farm is dying at a high rate. Well, we can increase those margins just by our government doing its job, by making sure that they can efficiently travel through the roads that we have now to make sure that our lock and dam systems are working properly. What what people don't think about is that, you know, every foot that a river goes down is like a million pounds of product that a farmer can't haul now in one single load. And these are big margins that these farmers are losing out on. Secondly, jobs. We want good paying, benefits included, union jobs for Central Illinois. And projects like these infrastructure projects bring those jobs. You know, we see what's going on now in Champaign with the rise in domestic violence, the rise in gun crime. Jobs won't be the only solution to that. No way. But jobs will be a part of that solution because we've got to give people good paying union jobs. We are really excited about what the Biden administration is doing because we understand that infrastructure is going to be huge for central Illinois and helping rebuild Illinois. 
Let's talk about another issue that you feel strongly about. It's healthcare, and that should be affordable for everyone in the fight against COVID-19 must be continued. On your website, you say healthcare, quote, isn't just a financial issue, it's also a moral one. What exactly do you mean by that? The thing about healthcare that's so peculiar is that there's always a caveat to who has it. Can you afford to pay the monthly premium? Are you employed? And I think no matter what criteria we put on it, it's too much. You know, living in the wealthiest nation in the world, everyone should have health care. It's just a human right. You know, people having to ration their prescription drugs and they have a pain or they've chipped a tooth. They don't want to go to the dentist. You know, all the bills are going to be too high. I kind of rolled my ankle a little bit. I'm not going to the doctor. You know, I don't want to deal with that x-ray bill. These are little things that people just have learned to live with because we don't want to go to the doctor because healthcare is too expensive. Now, I'm not coming to the table saying, hey, I've got the solution in my back pocket. I think we saw that with the last administration and no one ever had a solution. But I do think that adding something like a public option is going to be very important going forward. If you'd like to keep your private insurance, you got top of the line insurance and you're paying that exorbitant premium to have that, you should be able to continue to do that. But I think we need to level the playing field and put a public option out there for everyone else to be able to have quality health care that's available to them when they need it. You are a financial guy, and Elizabeth Warren is leading the charge right now on erasing student debt. What needs to happen in order to make that happen? Erasing student debt is such a wonderful talking issue because I think that it has a lot of ways that you can go with it. I think that a lot of student debt is carried at the graduate school level. And I think, you know, that those are decisions that people have made with the idea that I'm going to take on this debt to really advance my career. I don't know what part we play in erasing that, but I know the other student debt for four-year universities and whatever else that comes with, I think we should really take a look at getting rid of that student debt because a lot of people just go to college because they don't know what else to do. And they take on years and years of student debt because what else am I going to do? I'm supposed to be in college. And they go and they get these degrees that they never use and they have all this student debt that they're working just to pay off. And it's this vicious cycle. One of my things is that I think we have to advocate for free community college. I think that will be instrumental and lowering the student debt crisis. I mean, obviously, if you so choose to go to a four-year university, it will be after you finish your community college. But I think it allows people to really get a chance to understand what college is, what path they want to take, how am I going to fit in, into my college life? Because when we're 18 or 19 and we're first getting out of the house and we're going somewhere, there's a lot of growing that takes place. And those growing years can get to be very expensive. <laughs> And so I think, you know, if we have something like a free community college, it will be good for people to kind of figure out what path do I want to take. We have so many different amazing programs around the country. The one that I like the most is the program at Parkland College. The Pathways program is an amazing program. Every young student that I know, I tell them about it. <laughs> Unless you got a full ride or a full academic scholarship, man. But something like the Pathways program is excellent. You can go to Parkland, you can get an associate's degree, two years of schooling under your belt, and then go to one of the most prestigious universities in the country for two years, finish your degree, and not have to worry about the massive 
student debt bill that you're going to walk away with. And so programs like this should be available nationwide. And I know that it's really cool that the University of Illinois and Parkland College are kind of leading the way in these amazing programs. David, without mentioning your opponent by name, can you name a single piece of legislation he's done that would help his constituents and a reminder that he voted against the American Rescue Plan? The thing about my opponent is that he's been in Washington a long time and he's really skilled at getting his own name out there. So I don't really have to talk about the things that he's done where people in central Illinois get really turned off by our current congressman is that he never holds a position. We don't know who he is. You know, at one point he was staunchly against Donald Trump. And then the next moment he's the chair of his reelection committee. At one point he believes that we do need an investigation into what happened January 6th. And then when he's named to the committee, it's all political and this is Nancy Pelosi's fault. And so being in Congress isn't solely about how you vote and what you vote on. It's about how you use that microphone that you have. And do you bring people together or do you drive them apart? And the one thing that Rodney is masterful at, and I didn't mean to say his name, (laughs) but he's masterful at dividing people. He claims bipartisanship and he'll work across the aisle, but it's always a bill that doesn't really matter, that doesn't really affect the wide swath of people something just to get his name on the most bipartisan list. But when it comes down to it, we heard Betsy Durson Lodrigan talk extensively about how Rodney voted repeatedly to get rid of our health care. And so we know who he is. I think now it's time for us to really get out, get motivated, mobilize ourselves, and unseat him. Because we need someone who understands Central Illinois who understands the problems that are going on here and not just to put a Band-Aid over them, but to find out what the root cause is, really work with the community and the people in the community to fix these problems. What's happened is that he's become a part of this zero-sum politics group. If we can't get everything that we want, everything that we need out of this, then we'll be fine with leaving the table with nothing. Central Illinois can't afford that anymore. We need people who can go to the table and get things done for us. And so if you want to talk about the things that he's voted against, I think that he's going to also vote against the infrastructure package that we were just kind of talking about earlier. We know how how much infrastructure will do for central Illinois. And someone who votes against that, how can they claim that they represent our best interests? I'll leave it at that, but this could be a very long conversation about things that he hasn't done for the current district. Well, that's a perfect segue, though, into my next question, because I need you to help me understand why farmers vote the way they do. You're a retirement planning advisor with Country Financial. You've said your career has given insight into the issues facing the local farmers and small business owners. Have any farmers or small business owners explained to you why they often vote Republican while Democrats have a proven track record of helping them? Well, this is a really wonderful question. This is a question that I think Democrats far and wide are faced with. I think being someone who works for a company that's owned by the Illinois Farm Bureau, I get to work with rural farmers, small business owners. And for some reason, we haven't historically reached this group of voters and people. And so during my day job, I get to talk to them about, you know, what everybody kind of considers one of the most important things in your life is retiring. 
I'll get a call from a rural farmer in Oklahoma, you know, the reddest of the red. And as we're chatting, he's saying, you know, I've been working 40 to 50 hour work weeks for the last 40 to 50 years. I'm like, man, you know, you deserve to retire with some dignity. He's like, absolutely. One of the most important parts of my retirement plan is going to be my social security. What else are you worried about in retirement? Well, I'm also worried that one of my buddies said that his number one retirement expenditure is going to be medical care. And so we're going down the list of what's important to him. And usually those are like the top two things. I want to make sure that I've worked so hard all these years and my social security is intact. And, you know, I want to make sure that I'm not spending all my retirement money on my medical care and prescription drugs. What we know with the Democratic Party, these are things that are basics on our platform. We would never touch your social security. We actually want to strengthen it. We're not going to take away your Medicare. We want to make it better. But Republicans have done a really good job of messaging and messaging that anything that the Democrats do is a socialist takeover of government. And when you say those words to a certain group of people, no matter what the actual outcome is of the things that you're talking about, they're going to be against them. And so we've got to do a better job of messaging and connecting with rural farmers and you know, small business owners and things like that. I think one of my favorite politicians ever is obviously Barack Obama. And if you look at what he did in Illinois in his Senate run, I mean, he won everywhere. You know, not just because he's Barack Obama. That has something to do with it. But he became Barack Obama because of that win, the way he could connect with people in southern and central Illinois. You know, rural people, urban, it didn't matter. Black, white, no matter what you looked like, who you were, where you lived, he could find a way to connect. And I think we've got to get back to that kind of political thinking. We've got to go and connect with people and talk to them and talk to them in a way that's not condescending or any of that. We've got to make them understand that, hey, listen, there's going to be some things that we're not going to agree on politically. I can put that out to you up front. But these are the things that are really important to you. These are single issues that we get caught up on in the media and we let our partisan politicians talk about these things and divide us. I think that as we start to heal our nation, you know, one of the most important things is going to be is to figure out what commonalities do we have with these people that we feel like are so against us? Because as we start to chat with people, we start to figure out there are more commonalities than there are differences. And I think that as we start to really get to a point where we're healing ourselves and we're starting to come back together and we're not as partisan anymore. I think we're going to look back at this time and say, man, we just weren't, you know, doing any listening. We were all talking. We all were so ideological and we got away from what made America, America. One of the things that I always tell people about is that the reason why my wife and I chose to start our family in Champaign. I played basketball in the Big Ten, I played at the University of Iowa. And so you would think that when you visit Champaign, it's going to be a lot of people giving you a hard time and whatever the case may be. That was not Champaign. Champaign was warm, endearing. It made me feel like home from the moment I started coming here after college with my wife and visiting. And so for me, you know, this was clearly a place where I wanted to make home. But it was like that because... People listen to you. You know, they would get to know you. They would invite you in and have a conversation with you and then judge you. (laughs) 
that's the way that we want things to be in our nation because our nation is bigger than partisanship or political affiliations. And I think that we get so caught up on that now. We've just got to figure out a way to start listening again because, like I said, the rural community, the small business community, we got so much in common. And the Democratic Party has a message and a place for these people. We just have to communicate with them in a manner that reaches them. And so we, we can't blame it on the rural population or, you know, what Fox News is saying, our messaging has to get better as well. And so until we do that, we may never get that vote. But I know that our campaign is focused on working with everyone, you know, not taking any population of voters for granted, because we know that once you're elected, you don't just represent Champaign and Urbana and Springfield and the parts of the district that voted for you. You represent everyone. And you have to take that approach even when you campaign. And so you have to go and shake hands and meet people that maybe you think this is a waste of time or this isn't going to get anywhere. You've got to extend the olive branch and you've got to start the process because we're going to need these voters in our coalition to really be able to make a difference and change Central Illinois. So that's what we're looking to do. We really plan on going out, engaging this voter block, and hopefully they vote for David Palmer. David, you played basketball at the professional level. I'm glad you brought that up. How did that experience prepare you for a potential career in politics? I think professional basketball, especially professional basketball abroad, really helps in a few specific ways. Being engulfed in the culture of another country, I once again found myself noticing our commonalities. It taught me perspective and adaptation, but ultimately allowed me the opportunity to connect with people in ways that I wouldn't imagine possible. And I've carried these lessons over from that experience into my work regarding community building. And now that I'm running for political office, I take the lessons I've learned and I apply them daily as I'm traveling around and meeting new people from the community inside of this district. One of the things that I also like to communicate with people is that basketball is just a job, right? You have to learn about what's your schedule gonna be like, maintenance for yourself and your body, how you're gonna eat, People just assume that, well, you've been playing basketball your entire life. When you go to professional basketball, it's just natural. You know, you just figure it out. It's not. It's a hard transition. There's a lot of skill that's learned in that. I think the one thing that I took from professional basketball is that you got to always be prepared. No matter how simple or easy you think a task is, you got to put some time in. You've got to prepare. You've got to understand, you know, how things work. And I think just kind of learning how to figure things out has been one of my top skills from playing professional basketball. And I think as I got into this career in politics now, that's what it's all about. You know, you're learning on the fly every single day. You're calling new people every single day who you have to find commonalities with and connect with every day. The skills that I learned in China, in Russia, in Poland, as I was there and I was learning those skills, I had no idea that I was going to run for office one day. But the skills that I picked up are helping me tremendously in this journey that I'm on now. You're on a journey with your family here in Champaign, Chelsea, your wife, your two children, David Jr., and Quincy, your newborn daughter. What would you like them to learn one day once you're successfully in Congress? What do you want them to learn from this whole experience? I think the thing that my son is learning, because he's the oldest, my daughter's only seven months, My son is learning that if you really want to do something, it takes a huge commitment. (laughs) 
he sees me every day. What are you doing, daddy? Are you doing work for Congress? I'm like, I'm doing work for Congress. You know, I'm doing work to actually so we can keep the, you know, our lights on here. He just sees daddy working a lot. And sometimes that gets tough, but I know he's learning that if you want something in life, it takes a lot of hard work. I think he's also learning too that if you want something, you got to fight for it. If you find something that is worth fighting for, you've got to do just that. I don't know how this is going to turn out. Hopefully we win this race and we get rid of the current representative. But I know at the end of the day, my son and my daughter are going to know that their daddy was passionate about something and he attacked it and he gave it the best that he had. And so win, lose, or draw, I think my kids are going to really grow from this experience because they're going to learn what hard work is and what perseverance is and that things don't come easy in life. But with a little dedication, you can really go where you want to go and get something that's really major done. And so I, I just want to show them that. It's going to be hard for the things that you want, but just keep fighting anyway. You were recruited by the University of Iowa. Now that you live here, and I'm not going to lie to you, when Illinois plays my Wisconsin Badgers, I'm still rooting for Wisconsin. Are you still all about Iowa or do you have a little soft spot for Illinois in there? Well, I have a big soft spot for Illinois. A lot of people don't know that this was the first place that I actually committed to play basketball in the 10th grade. They had a few coaching changes with the staff and I kind of started to look elsewhere and that's how I ended up at Iowa. But the first place that I decided to play was at the, at the University of Illinois. And unless they're playing Iowa, I'm rooting for the fighting Illini. Now, when they are playing Iowa though, I'm going to be decked out head to toe in my Iowa gear. I'm going to be rooting really hard. And lately, I've got a lot of victories, but <laughs> but all in all, I'm a huge Illinois fan. And, and like I said, unless they're playing my Hawkeyes, I'm going to be cheering for the fighting Illini. Last question before I let you go. I have to ask, when you get to Congress, how will you find it in yourself to govern for all of your constituents, including the racist ones, the closed-minded ones, those who will never learn and never change? How are you going to govern for them too? I think the one thing you do is that you go out, you do your job every day to the best of your ability, you represent them to the best of your ability, and you just keep going. I think that people that you can't reach and that'll never let you in, that's their loss. I'm gonna go out and do everything I can to make their life better still, to make their kids' life better, because that's my job. You know, it's not about them voting for me or liking me. If I'm elected to represent them, in the halls of Congress, I have one of the most, most important jobs that you could ever do. And so I, I wouldn't let their personal beliefs change who I am. I spoke about it earlier. If we want to reach populations that we historically haven't reached, I think we have to just keep working hard. We have to do things a little different. And I think that when we get to Congress, of course, you have to work with your base and work with the people who support you on doing things for your community, in your community, you know, getting back, talking to kids, making sure you pass legislation that affects their lives. But you also have got to get down to the areas of people who didn't vote for you and find out what their needs are as well. Because like I said, they live in our district as well. And I think the one thing that we can't forget is how we feel as Democrats a lot of the time. We feel the exact same way that I'm sure they're going to feel once I win. <laughs> I don't want them to feel like they have a representative who doesn't care, who doesn't listen, 
who's not engaged with them. If they choose to not be that with me, then fine. But I'm going to put forth the effort to do my job in the best manner that I see fit. And that will be working with everyone in my district. Thank you for listening to I Have to Ask with Elizabeth Hess, part of the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. David Palmer, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me.